Thank you for listening to this podcast from Bethel Family Worship Center. In Nehemiah chapter 6, the Bible tells us a story about this great man of God. His name, Nehemiah, he was a builder. He was called of the Lord to do something that had not been done. Responsibility of rebuilding the walls of the city of which he lived or his family, his forefathers had lived. He was born in captivity, so he had never been there. But he loved his roots. He loved where he came from. And a lot of us in this room, we have roots. Amen. Some of us come from the South. Come on. Some of us lived in the North all of our life, East Coast, West Coast, whatever. And we love where we came from. And we like to claim where we came from. (laughs) And it's funny when I get around the people of the Lord and our church and I get to hear some of the fun stuff and the antidotes and some of the, I call silliness that happens where we just laugh and cut up. I like to cut up. I like to have fun. Amen. How many know you can be a Christian and have fun? Amen. You don't have to look like a poster child for Quaker Oats. You can be fun and you can have fun. Amen. And you can smile. I was raised in the early church, in the holiness church. And when you smiled in that church, they thought you were, were up to something. So you didn't even, you didn't even want to crack a smile because they thought that you, somebody thought you was sinning. <laughs> but I like to have fun. I like to enjoy this, this good life of God. Nehemiah was a, a cupbearer for the king. He had an important job. And by the time he finally got down to Jerusalem to rebuild the walls, he had to face some opposition. And the Lord sent me on assignment today to speak to you about some of the distractions that you've been facing. Maybe you said, well, 2022, you know how some people do. They announce on Facebook, this is going to be my year. I'm cutting everybody off. I'm, I'm unfriending, I'm defriending, I'm blocking. Blocked you, blocked you. And I want to ask, why do you feel the need to announce it? Just do it already. You don't have to announce it to nobody. You're trying to draw attention to yourself. Something in you is insecure. Something in you lacks. So you want people to say, what's wrong, poo-poo? There are going to be some distractions you're going to have to learn how to get over. Some people you're going to have to get over. Some of your distractions will come wrapped up in some flesh. Look down your row and say, I'm glad you're sitting here today. This message just might be for you. I've seen husbands and wives elbow each other. One time I got to preaching and I must have said something and the, uh, the wife elbowed her husband so hard in the ribs that he yelled out, ouch, real loud. <laughs> so don't be doing none of that. But distractions, we all know what they are. Some of you are distracted when you came here this morning. You were driving fast and you had the nerve to try to even blame the red light as your distraction. <laughs> the light wasn't there to distract you, it was to guide you. Uh, but we do have real distractions, things that happen in our life that we didn't account for. Flat tires along the way. Washing machine quit working. Amen. All that kind of goofy stuff. And how many know that sometimes those things happen so fast in rapid succession where you're like, what is going on? 
And you just have to take a minute and get your thoughts back. When Nehemiah got to a place where they were building the wall, he had some opposition wrapped in some flesh. Look at this. Look at verse 1. Sanballat, Tobiah, Geshem, the Arab. Now the Bible names these three. And then he goes on to say, and the rest of all our enemies. Now I know every one of us in here could name at least three people that come to mind who have not been always favorably nice to us. Some people who hate us because they ain't us. Have you ever met some people, they don't even like you and you don't know why? You've never even had a conversation with them. They just don't like the way you look. And so I have been in that environment. And the Bible mentions these three and then it said, and the rest of all of our enemies. So how many know that Nehemiah had some stuff he had to deal with? He had some relational things going on. He had some opposition that he didn't even ask for. And the Bible said and that, that when they found out that I had finished rebuilding the wall and that no gaps remained, that'll preach by itself, that no gaps remained, though we had not yet set up the doors in the gates, Sanballat and Geshem sent a message asking me to meet them at one of the Starbucks no, at, at one of the villages in the plain of Ono. But I realized they were plotting to harm me. How many know what I'm talking about? Have you ever caught wind of something? You're like, mm-hmm, I know what they're up to. I realized they were plotting to harm me. So I replied by sending them a message and said, I am engaged in a great work, so I can't come. Why would I stop working to come and meet with you? Four times they were relentless. The same message. At each time I gave the same reply. The fifth time, Sanballat's servant came with an open letter in his hand. And this is what it said. There is a rumor on Facebook. <laughs> there is a rumor among the surrounding nations. And Geshem tells me it's true. How many know that you're always going to have a sidekick that tries to get in on it? When you have one person who's disgruntled sitting on this side of the church, and next week you have this someone who's disgruntled sitting on this side of the church, and by the third week they're sitting together because spirits attract to one another. <laughs> and he said, even Geshem will back me up. Well, ain't nobody going to take his word. We know what he is. He ain't nothing but a blabbermouth. There's a rumor among the surrounding nations, and Geshem also tells me it's true. Ooh, I'd have fun reading this text. That you and the Jews are planning to rebel, that this is why you're building the wall. According to his reports, <laughs> you plan to be the king. He also reports that you have appointed prophets in Jerusalem to proclaim about you, look, there's the king of Judah. You can be sure that this report will get back to the king because I'm going to tell him everything. So I suggest that you come over here to this village on the plain of Ono and talk it over with me. In other words, it's going to get back to the king. You better come talk to me if you don't want me to bring back this report. And this is what he said. I replied, there is no truth in any part of your story. You are making up the whole thing. Somebody I'll just shout out right there, the devil is a lie. 
Nehemiah then begins to tell the people that are with him. They were just trying to intimidate us, imagining that they could discourage us and stop the work. So I continued the work with even greater determination. It's almost like there comes a time in your life that you have to stop worrying about what they said and get up with some grit in your teeth, some determination. Everybody clench your teeth and try to talk. It's almost like I'm going to get up this morning and eat raw meat and gunpowder. And I dare you to say anything. It's like that's what Nehemiah was saying. I, I, we're going to continue this work. We ain't going to let somebody who's a blabbermouth likes to bump their gums. We're not going to let them discourage us from the assignment that God called us. So I want you to say out loud, say, oh, no, you don't. Say it louder. Oh, no, you don't. Look at somebody like you got an attitude and say, oh, no, you don't. There are many things that will try to distract us from our assignment and our purpose. Nehemiah, he realized that the enemies that had been coming against him were coming to harm him. Hence, he would not take their invitation to come down off the wall and head over to the plain of Ono, where they had probably laid a trap for him. And I believe that you and I have been alive long enough that we already realize that not everybody wants to see us succeed. Not everybody in your circle is rowing in the same direction. Not everybody is, wants to see you succeed. There are even some people in your family that you can't even share your joy with them about you got a promotion or you got a new car or you got this because the first thing out of their mouth is going to be, well, what about me? As if you succeeding somehow diminishes them. But I want you to understand, you live under the favor and the blessing of God. And you don't have to excuse your blessing to anybody. You don't have to shop the clearance rack unless you want to. You can live your best life. And it's not that you're being arrogant, not that you're being uh, uppity at anybody. But you are saying, God is my provider. And God is my source. And if God blesses me, you can't unbless me. <laughs> and there are certain people, maybe even your own circle or your family, that you can't even really talk about how good God's been to you because they're not on that level. And they don't want to see you succeed. They're against everybody that's doing better than them. Oh, I ain't never seen a hater doing better than me anyhow. So you got to understand that haters cannot take away what God blessed you with, but they can try to distract you because you are human and you have feelings and you want to be loved and liked by everybody. But we have already come to the conclusion in this year that not everybody wants to see us succeed. I found out that not everybody wanted Beverly and I to succeed at pastoring when we came here in 1999. I thought we came with a vision and a dream and everybody would love me. I thought everybody would embrace me and take me to eat fried chicken. I thought everybody was going to be on my, my BFF list. I found out wasn't long that some people were trying to kill me. I found out people had, uh, had had secret knives stashed away so they could stab me in the back. In fact, I got cut a few times. Everyone 
is not for you. I need to say that out loud again. Everyone is not for you. Look at verse 3 again. He said, I, uh, I replied by sending this message to them. I'm engaged in a great work. I can't come. Why should I stop working to come and meet with the, this is my inversion, with the likes of you? I, why would I come and meet with you when I know what you're planning? But I come to tell you that anytime you set out to do something for God, a work, a ministry, or you would branch out and take a leap of faith that you can expect to things. First of all, you can expect, write this down, hindrances. Hindrances come to hinder you, to make the process difficult, to hold you back, to hamper you, to impede upon your progress and your action. And all of us have had hindrances that we've had to ignore. We've had to learn how to handle the hindrance. We've had to hurdle over the hindrance. We've had to identify it as a hindrance and say, I'm not going to let that stop me. But it doesn't mean it's not going to happen. You are going to have hindrances to your journey, hindrances to your walk, hindrances to your ministry, hindrances to your career, hindrances to your business interest. There's going to be hindrances there, but here comes its crazy cousin frustration. Frustration will then come after the hindrance to discourage you, to annoy you, to anger you because you feel trapped. You feel like you you put one foot forward and you, can't, you just keep falling back. You're frustrated. You're frustrated with the people who said, they would help you and they're nowhere to be found. You ever met them people that say, call me if you need me, and then you call them and it goes straight to voicemail and yet you know they text in everybody because you saw the bubbles? Call me if you need me. And you're frustrated because you cannot seem to gain access to what you feel is a, is a God assignment upon your life. You're frustrated that everybody else in the church isn't as excited about your ministry, as excited about your work, as excited about the thing that burns in your heart. And so that can bring frustration. So here comes hindrance, here comes frustration. They all set in. You will face these two enemies called hindrance and frustration. You will have a Sanballat, a Tobiah, and a Gashmu or a Gashem, Gashem in your life that will try to hinder you, and that don't even uh, count the rest of the enemies that will come and try to attack you. They will come dressed up for battle. They may disguise themselves, but if the Holy Spirit is in you, he will give you discernment and you will be able to see exactly what someone is and what spirit they cover. I, I'm speaking prophetically here because or somebody in this room that you are uh, facing something and God is about to unload and download discernment into your heart so that you can see what it is. They used to call it to tell how the cow eats the cabbage. I don't know if that's a northern thing, a southern thing, but I will say this. God's about to make known what you cannot see. He's about to open your eyes so you can see the spirit of a matter and know the truth of how someone is walking. Come on, somebody. Every enemy that you face will come dressed in some tire. They will come ready to fight. They will come ready to be a snake. They'll come ready to, uh, to de bring deception or whatever, but they will come and you will be, have to be able to identify them. I thought about that because, you know, you can usually tell uh, what someone is about by the uniform they wear. If I was to look at you externally, I could tell uh, maybe on your job a certain attire that you wear uh, what you're about. Well, I can make an assumption that this is what you're about. If, for example, if, if I see someone dressed in all black leather and they've got a leather boots and a, a helmet on uh, 
and they uh, have a Harley Davidson written on the backside of their jacket, I assume that they are a motorcycle rider. That is my assumption. If I see a person who's wearing scrubs and has a cap on with no bill and they carry a stethoscope around their neck, I assume that they are probably a nurse or they are a doctor. If I see someone who has on a green uniform with stripes on their arms and they're decked out with all kinds of medals, then I assume that they are a soldier. They are in the armed forces. If a person I see is wearing shoulder pads and thigh pads and a helmet and a jersey and they've got numbers on it, then I assume they are a football player. It's an assumption based on the exterior that I see. If a person is wearing a bulletproof vest and uh, handcuffs and a pistol, a badge and a uniform, we would assume that they are probably a law officer. So we recognize externals about individuals. We can assume certain things, my God, we can assume certain things based on what we see. And if that's true, then could I to say that we need to also talk about what does a Christian wear? That people would look at us and say, there's one going. There's somebody who is a believer. I'm not really talking about your apparel. Now, I was raised in the early church. I came up in the holiness church. And in other words, if it was fun, it was a sin. Everything that we did was very staunch and, and very uh, reserved and, and a lot of rules and regulations. The women couldn't cut their hair. Uh, they couldn't wear earrings. They couldn't wear makeup. Uh, it seemed like all the rules applied to the women folk. A and even the men folk, they, had to, they couldn't have a mustache or a beard. They couldn't wear any jewelry. They had to wear a white shirt to church and a tie. And that was the environment I grew up in. I know some of you are looking at me like, what did I just step into? I'm just telling you where I came from. You can talk about what you came from. You can talk about what you have experienced. So I, I wasn't allowed to go bowling. I wasn't allowed to play t-ball. I went about to roller skate until finally uh, the Baptist church had the roller skating rink rented and we skated to just as I am without one plea. Uh, tried, to, tried to do the hokey pokey to just as I am. It, it just doesn't work very well. But I will tell you, I learned to skate a mean skate on those monthly Monday night Christian all skates. And I even got to skate with my, uh, my dearly, uh, my wife, who is my wife now. Uh, those were times where I learned how... Uh, to get my groove on. Come on, somebody. I, I was breaking all the rules. They told me I couldn't sway, but I was swaying on the inside. I mean, I... So when you were around our church people, you could tell who was in the church and who wasn't in the church. You see them at the mall. They have long hair or their hair up in a bun and a jean skirt, and you'd say... There's one going, and there's one going, and there's one going. But how many know that you can have the outward apparel and look good on the outside, but you could have a tongue as long as from the pulpit to this door and cut everybody down with an arrogant spirit. I can't get no amens here. Uh, can't cut everybody down. I've let, I, I was raised around folk who, who are arrogant. I was raised around people who thought they were better than other people. I was raised in that environment. Ooh, 
I feel an anointing here? Why? It ain't in my notes, but I want to say it here. This is where we have to be able to discern. It is not the outward appearance that God is looking for. He is looking for the heart. He is wanting to know, is what you have on the inside as real as you say? And I do believe that whatever is on the inside will work its way outside. You will have an inward manifestation that produces an outward expression. God will show up and people won't have to scratch their head and wonder because they hear you talk about church on Monday, but before the week is over, you're cussing like a sailor. People won't have to wonder who you are because what you are will show up out of your mouth and, and your disposition and your attitude. Oh, let me preach in here. I'm not talking about all of that that I grew up in. I'm not talking about, I'm just thankful where I came from, but I'm also glad I kept coming. I, I, I'm not talking about the externals. I'm talking about the attitude that every Christian should put on and ought to wear. What kind of attitude should the world expect from me? What kind of attitude, what kind of garment should I wear? I'll tell you what we should wear. Saints of God, we ought to wear the garment of love, where we love people unconditionally, where we don't love just the people on our list or the people on our side of the track or the people who are the same color of skin that we are. We don't love with discrimination. We don't love with a, with a disposition of, I only love you if you give to me. I only love you if you look like me. I only love you if, if we can, if we're running in the same circle. No, no, we wear the garment of love or we love everybody and we don't just love everybody. We love people big and we hug big and we kiss big and we are a good people that love everybody. We wear the garment of love. We wear the garment of kindness. We are easy to entreat. People don't have to tiptoe around us for fear of setting us off because there are some people in your family, you can't say what you need to say. You, everybody has to tiptoe at the family reunion for fear that if you set Aunt Hazel off, she's going to go off on somebody. So everybody just has to tiptoe. That ought not be the child of God. Nobody should have to worry about you having an offense because the Bible said, great love have they that love thy law. Great peace have they that love thy law and nothing shall offend them. I am sick and tired of everybody being offended. Hey, I'm offended that you're offended. I, I just want to encourage somebody. Don't walk around all the time with something on your shoulder waiting on somebody to knock the, the, the chip off your shoulder. Be a kind person. Be easy to entreat. Be a pat person that wears the garment of compassion and understanding and mercy and patience. Be as patient with people as you would want them to be patient with you. What kind of attitude should the world expect from a Christian? If we wear the things that I've just mentioned, then we will allow people to assume that we are Christ-like, that we're one of them. There's several things that I want to jot down and ask you to consider wearing today. Number one, would you wear compassion? Compassion is where you look to the needs of other people. We live in a very selfish society. It's a selfie this, a selfie that. And it, because we are self-focused, we lose our compassion for other folk. What are their needs? How can I help? Well, the church is having a food drive, so we're going to help there. We're going to be compassionate to the needs of other people. Somebody is needing help. So I'm moved. You know, the Bible talks about being moved out of the bowels of your compassion. Where you are moved to a place. There's an unctioning in you that when you see a need, that you meet it. When you see a lady walking down the street and it's raining and she's got a baby 
in a little stroller or a baby in her arms and she is waiting on the city bus that you pull over because you've got an umbrella in your car, you hand her the umbrella or you give her a ride. Can't be too careful today. But I'm saying you are moved with compassion and that you try to meet a need in someone's life. When's the last time that you went beyond your boundary and helped someone besides yourself? Ooh, it's quiet. Here's the second garment we should wear and that is cooperation. Are we easy to work with? Do we cooperate? Or do people say, oh, I don't want to work with them? Because they're hard to work with. They won't bend. They're not flexible. It's got to be their way or no way. Come on, somebody. The third garment is confidence, where we have faith, a belief that it's going to be accomplished. I'm going to wear this garment of faith so my family knows that I believe in God and that God will supply our need. According to his riches in glory, he will. I have faith to believe God's going to turn the situation around in my family, in my life. I have faith to believe that. So I'm going to wear the garment of confidence, not an arrogance, but a confidence that God is able. Then I'm going to wear the garment of courage. And courage is required to stand for what is right. If ever we needed to stand for what is right, it is the year of which we are entering into. In the year of 2023, where sin is abounding, but the grace of God doth abound much more. Courage to say, I'm not standing for sin. Courage to say, that's not right. Courage to say, you're not going to make fun of my friends. Courage to say, if you came to gossip, I'm shutting you down right now because everything you tell me, I'm telling to the person that you're gossiping about. I'm telling you, it takes courage to have that. It takes courage to wear that kind of garment, to wear the garment of courage. You will be tried and tested. Oh, I feel like preaching here. And then there's the garment of commitment, the commitment that says, I will finish what I said I will do. If I give you my word, if I give you my word, my word is my bond. We don't have to shake on it. We don't have to sign a document on it. If I give you my word, my word is my bond. It is my seal. I wish I could raise up a generation that understood that, that your word is your bond. And if you give your word, don't let your mouth cause your flesh to sin. Don't just say something in the moment because you didn't want to be left out or you didn't want them to think less of you. So you committed to this or you committed to that. We have to have, number five, the commitment to finish what we say we're going to finish. I will follow through on what I say I will follow through. And there is a difference. There is a difference between dedication and commitment. You can be dedicated to something but not be committed to it. Let me give you a story. Early one morning, the rooster crowed and woke up the whole army of, of the whole animals upon the bar, in the farmyard. And all the animals were hungry and there was a discussion between the hen and the discussion between the pig. And the hen suggested, I think we should eat bacon and eggs. There was dedication on the part of the hen because the hen only had to give up an egg. But it would require full commitment from the pig if bacon was to be provided. So I ask you this morning, are you committed or are you merely dedicated? 
I'm thankful for the people of Bethel Family Worship Center who I know tried and true have walked the walk and have talked the talk and are wearing the garment of compassion, the garment of cooperation, confidence, courage, and commitment. I'm thankful for them because I know some of your stories and I know some of your testimony. And it wasn't always easy, but it was worth it. When God lifted you up and put you in a new and fresh way where you were able to walk out what you profess and be able to say, this is what I believe. And you wore the garment even when your family came against you, even when Brother hindrance came, even when sister frustration came, and you had to contend with them and say, I don't know if I'm going to make it through this. This is what I want you to hear. You're going to face hindrances. You're going to face uh, uh, frustrations, but you got to make up your mind that you're going to have enough power in you through the power of Jesus Christ to overcome every hindrance uh, and every frustration in your life. This is what I want you to write down. The church is not an audience to be entertained, but rather we are an army to to be empowered. I didn't come this morning to entertain you. The band didn't come to entertain you. Uh, the, the, the greeters didn't come to entertain you. The Connections Cafe didn't come to entertain you. Nobody came to entertain you. We came to host the Holy Ghost. We came to, to perform to the audience of one. We came to give him praise and him glory. We come to be empowered. I'm not here trying to entertain an audience. I'm trying to empower power an army of people who will rise up in the year of 2023 and declare I shall live and not die to proclaim the glory of the Lord. I may have to hurdle over frustration and hindrance but greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Somebody say yeah! You gotta put on the fighting armor. We must be empowered by the Holy Spirit. This past year, Beverly and I have traveled more extensively preaching the gospel, churches and around this nation. And one of the reports that I hear as I mentor and coach pastors every year, just starting a brand new year of coaching pastors this coming year out of the East Coast and the Capital District, New Jersey area, and, and already we know that we are going to encounter things that are rough in society that is causing hardships for churches. We are living in a time where people have become uh, very lazy. We come out of COVID and we didn't know how, we still, some people, uh, they go to Walmart, they go to Kroger, they go to the movie theater, they go to parties, birthday parties, they go to retirement parties, but they're too scared to come to the church and, and be amongst God's people. It has become very easy to just sit at home and watch online. Oh, I'm thankful for our media ministry. I'm thankful for the tool that we use to share the gospel around the world. But there ain't nothing like getting together with brothers and sisters in the faith who would encourage you, who will pray for you, who will look you in the eye and say, I hear a word from the Lord. And God God begin to minister to you in healing and in strength. That the problem that I see in the North American church, and I say North America, I've been to North America, I've been to Central America, I've been to South America, I've been to China, I've been to India, I've been around the world over. And I'm telling you the problem that I see in the North
North American church is that when we, the less power we have, then we think the remedy is more cake and coffee, more of the thrills, more of the pleasures, more of the benefits. If I can say we're having a, a free chicken wing dinner on Wednesday night, this church would be packed because everybody comes out for some wings. Everybody wants some wings with hot sauce. Can I get an amen from somebody? But if we got to tantalize your taste buds to get you to the house of God with coffee and with cake, then we're not a powerful church. We are a church that has become nothing more than a social gathering and a social club. We are not the Masons, my God. We are not the Elk Club. We are not some society order. We are not some program. We are not the PTA. We are not just a group that gathers to bowl at the bowling alley. We are the church of Jesus Christ and we are full of the Holy Ghost and power and the devil is a liar and the devil can't stop what God's doing. Let God arise and his enemies be scattered. I decree to this church. I decree to your house. I decree to this family. God is going to turn the tide in the name of Jesus. Churches trying to draw people with cake and coffee. Now you know we have cake and coffee but we don't rely on cake and coffee. Cake and coffee is not going to bring your loved one out of hell. Cake and coffee is not going to deliver them from pornography. Cake and coffee won't bring them back into their right mind. So what's it going to take to turn this casual Christianity that has invaded the church? It's going to take preachers who will stand behind this pulpit and declare, thus saith the word of the Lord. It's going to require preachers who would still declare hell is hot and heaven is real. It's going to require preachers who would declare that sin is wrong and sin will send you to hell. It's going to require preachers who will say this is the Bible and this is God's authority. I'm not reading from Reader's Digest. I'm not reading the latest romance novel. I'm not reading whatever they have decreed now is still available at the libraries in our land. I say this is the word of God and it'll still bring you out of alcohol. It'll still bring you out of perversion. It'll still bring you out of drug addiction. It'll still make a crooked path straight. I wish I could have preached to somebody to tell you uh, that God's going to require preachers uh, to stand up in this last day uh, and declare thus saith the word of the Lord. It won't make us popular. It'll put a bullseye on our back. Uh, People will hate you without a cause. Uh, They'll spit on you and talk about you like a dirty dish rag. But go ahead 
and let them talk because if Jesus endured it, then you and I are going to be called to endure until the very end, until the coming of our Lord. There's a price to be paid when you stand for this word. There's a price to be paid. Your family will look at you funny. They'll say you're just being extra. You don't have to do all that. But where are the Holy Ghost women and men of God who will stand on thus saith the word of the Lord and declare this is the Bible. It will not change. It will not alter. It is still true whether you believe it or not. Somebody ought to say yes. Give somebody a high five and tell them the word is still the truth. It's going to take preachers to declare that Jesus is the only way to heaven. Jesus said there is no way, no man come to the Father except to come by me. You can't just get on any spoke of the wheel and hum till you're numb and stare into a crystal ball and think you're going to make it to heaven. Heaven is reserved for people who've been washed in the blood, who've been redeemed. Am I preaching to anybody that came out of darkness? Am I preaching to anybody who is bound but is yet free? Am I preaching to anybody that said, hey, I know what it was like to be lost, but now I'm found. If that's you, you ought to stand to your feet and give God praise and declare to the devil, you don't have no power over me. You don't have authority over me. I'm free and delivered in the mighty name of Jesus. You may be seated. John Wesley said, give me a hundred preachers who fear nothing but sin and desire nothing but God and will shake the gates of hell. I want to be one of those preachers. I heard an old preacher say, Lord, give me the backbone as big as a saw log. Give me ribs like Joyce under the church floor. Put iron shoes on me, galvanized britches, and hang a wagon load of determination on the gable of my soul. Help me to sign a contract to fight the devil as long as I have vision. And bite him as long as I have a tooth and then gum him till I die. God's looking for people, not just the pastor, to rise up and stand in the gap for our neighborhood and our community and our nation and our school systems. Men and women who are like determined like Nehemiah, who will not yield to cultural compromise will not be persuaded to the spirit of compromise that is sweeping through the land and has even tried to creep up into the church. We say no. We say no to the devil. I say no to this LBGQT+. I say no to the agenda. I say no to the abortion agenda. I say no to the transgender agenda that is targeting my grandchildren and your children and telling them that they can have two dads or two moms and they can have a sexual perversion with one another in books that have coloring and crayons and have colored illustrations for children 10 and younger to look at. I say no to this godless and immoral abomination that is trying to come. Pastors and preachers and ministers and churches, you must rise up and say no. 
I'm not having it. I'm not having it. I'm not coming to your own no. You got to declare the word that is true. And that is this word and the freedom it brings. I remember when God saved me and brought me into freedom. Changed my whole life. Maybe a brand new person. BFWC, hear me. We are still a truth church. Not our truth. People be like, I just need to tell my truth. Honey, you don't have no truth to tell. This is the truth. I just got to tell my truth. Your truth is whatever this word says. Ooh. If you got any email, Pastor Wayne, would you stand up? Send it to Pastor Wayne. He might come to your own no, but he carries. So, I mean. Don't mess with Pastor Wayne. He will put you in your place. We don't preach politics here at Bethel. We preach the truth. <laughs> we don't preach culture here at Bethel. We're not afraid. Oh, we can't say this. We can't. No, we preach the truth. I believe you're here today because you want the truth. We are aware of politics. We are aware of culture. But the gospel will always take precedence. Always. So we're not a Republican church. We're not a Democratic church. We a church. That'll make some of you mad and that'll make some of you happy. Good, it's working. I'm just trying to tell you, if you don't follow this word, you're headed to hell. This is the word. See, what I just said is not politically friendly. But I'm trying to spare a whole generation. You haven't sat with the people that I've had to counsel through their addictions and their divorces and their mess because sin entered in. And I'm sick of seeing pastors and preachers in our Pentecostal apostolic circles who condone drinking alcohol and living, living loose lives because of the people that I've ministered to do who lost everything because of it would tell you don't even flirt with it. See, there's great division even in the church. Why are we having to preach about this stuff? The Holy Spirit will tell you the truth. And if you're doing anything in secret to keep it from the pastor, then you have to ask yourself, why am I keeping this thing secret? It should be known. Let your yea be yea. And if you can't make your yea be yea, you better hide up in a closet till you get victory. Don't bring the reproach to the name of Jesus. I, I, I'm, I'm just way beyond my message here. We are at a place where it's going to require courage. And so let me go to chapter 1 of Nehemiah. Go back with me. I'm going to jump ahead here. He got this discouraging word from his brother Hananiah in verse 2. This was at the beginning of the book. And he told him that the walls were falling down and the, there was great trouble. And at the end, look if you look at verse 4, after he got that news, he started weeping and crying. And the Bible said that he wept. For days he mourned, he fasted, and he prayed to the God of heaven. 
So imagine that he's gotten this news that the place that his ancestors came from has been destroyed. And he cries and he weeps and he mourns. That is, the, that is the, the mind and that is the disposition that we should have when we see people in our family who are lost. I don't want them to go to hell. And there is an assurance to be absent from this body is to either be present with the Lord or you lift your eyes in hell. You have to have a relationship with Jesus. He doesn't make it hard. He said it's so easy that even a child could enter in. But what has happened? We have lived in this world where we have our freedom and we live in our best life. And we'll forget about the things of God until a man falls on a football field and then instantly it hits everybody. Oh God, oh God. And they cry out to the only name that can set free. Quickly, they did, didn't they? So Nehemiah, he's been in captivity all these years, and he holds this great big position called a cupbearer. He is God's plan. It wasn't just an accident that he's the cupbearer. God put him there. He was God's plan. Say this to your neighbor, you are God's plan. You're where you are because God put you there. And so because he's the cupbearer, he knows that the king has lots of enemies. So he surrounds the king. And the king surrounds himself with loyal supporters who God has put in his life. And there's one for sure we know is God appointed, and it's Nehemiah, who is Jewish. And he is, <clears throat> although in captivity, excuse me, he is yet a man that God can trust. And this cupbearer position was a place of trust. It was a place of advisory counsel to the king. Because one of the jobs that he had as a cupbearer is he had to taste the food before the king did because if somebody was trying to poison the king, he would eat it or he would drink it so that no poison would be passed on. That was an important job. When you are in that close of proximity to your leader and you have access, don't disrespect that access. He is in a place of trust and advisory counsel to the king. He tastes all the food that is served. And so he is trusted to the king, and the king trusts him in his court. And then when you jump into chapter 2, you have to remember he's been praying, he's been mourning, he's been grieving. He has got this heavy burden on him. And he comes into the presence of the king with a sad countenance. Look at verse 1. Early the following spring in the month of Nisan, during the 20th year of King Artaxerxes' reign, I was serving the king his wine. I had never before appeared sad in his presence. So the king asked me, why are you looking so sad? You don't look sick to me. You must be deeply troubled. Now you have to remember this about Nehemiah. He knew what it was to be professional. And with his professionalism, he was not, even with his best professionalism, he wasn't even able to hide his emotions. It was seeping out of him and his countenance was down. And of all people, Nehemiah knew that when he approached the king, you don't come to the king sad. You come with joy and you come with, it's my pleasure, and you come with service and a smile, amen? And you come in that direction. But he had a heavy spirit because he had been praying and he was mourning and grieving of the news that Jerusalem had been burned down and, and the walls were lying in 
and waste. So he had this burden upon him, and it was about to put his job in, in jeopardy, if not his life, because you couldn't just come any old way into the king's chamber. But Nehemiah had been in prayer. He had a burden within him. And as the story unfolds, his loyal devotion to the king granted him favor because the king said, if it's burdening you, tell me about it. I want to hear about it. He knew that Nehemiah had been faithful. He knew that Nehemiah had been fruitful. He knew that Nehemiah was in a place where he had been trusted and tried and true. And so he was willing to go the extra mile to hear what troubled his cupbearer. And Nehemiah said, oh, king, the walls of Jerusalem have fallen and are in shambles. There's no defenses. The enemies are coming against the people who have returned that you allowed to return out of captivity. They're being overrun. They're not able to establish homes. He said, I would to God that I could go down and build and defend the city once again. And the king who had favored him, the king who had trusted him said, all right, I'll send you. He sends his trusted cupbearer. That means he'd have to find somebody else to do that job. And he sends him with letters of authority and he puts him in his back pocket and he goes down and he begins to build the wall and he begins to get the people excited about the building process. And all of this is happening because this man had favor on his life because he had been faithful. You can't show up to work when you want to and wonder why they don't give you a raise. You can't show up and be unfaithful and wonder why that you're not getting the promotions that you want. God will put you in a place where he will extend favor upon your life if you'll show up with a good attitude and you'll say, I, I, oh, come on, somebody. Where are my T3 Christians at? Time, talent, and treasure. People who know how to do this thing for God. Don't expect favor when you're not faithful. But then you jump down to verse 17 through 18 and he says to the friends and he says to the people that he's engaged there once he gets there. He said, you know very well what trouble we're in. Jerusalem lies in ruins and the gates have been destroyed by fire. Let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and end this disgrace. Then I told them how gracious the hand of God had been on me and about my conversation with the king and they replied at once, yes let's rebuild the wall so they begin to do a good work. I'm preaching to Bethel today before he could even get started though on the wall, here came brother distraction, here came sister hindrance to bother him and the Bible says in Nehemiah 2 and verse 10, when Sanballat the Hornite and Tobiah the Ammonite heard of the uh, official heard of my arrival, they were very displeased that someone had come to help the people of Israel how many know there are some people that they don't want you to get better there are some people, they might be in the mess themselves, but they don't want anybody free come on, they want everybody to be as discouraged as them, they want everybody to be as down in the mouth and depressed as them, and then we get to verse 19 but when Sanballat, Tobiah and Geshem the Arab heard of our plan they scoffed contemptuously what are you building, are you rebelling against the king there, can you imagine that they would come and say to Nehemiah, you're just trying to do this in your own mind, can you imagine the emails he must have gotten can you imagine the chatter in the church hallway of people who I don't like this plan and I don't know how they're going to build this bus garage bus car. Can you imagine the conversations at the dinner table? Can you imagine that people would even be against building the work of the Lord? Can you imagine that people would be bumping their gums about progress that God is doing? Can you imagine that that even happens now that they would say, I can't believe they tried to raise money through a book auction last week. Oh, I just don't go for that. Oh, let God arise and his enemies be scattered. We're doing a great work. When 
off this wall. You got to learn how to refuse distractions. You just say, talk to the hand. They try it again, you go. You can't let that stuff get in your spirit. Nehemiah said, I ain't coming down. They said, we'd like to schedule a meeting. We picked the spot. You ever heard of, oh no? Nehemiah said, we ain't having no meeting. I'm going to help somebody right here. Don't even give them your breath. Don't, they don't deserve your very breath. If they don't have the courage or the courtesy to talk to you in love and wear the right garment. See ya. See ya. I'm out. I don't, I didn't say that in the first service, but I felt that right here. We need to express our frustrations with you. We need to have a meeting. We need to let you know how this is making us feel. I need to, God called me to, he appointed me to point this out to you. We know you've been praying and mourning and grieving and all that and building and all that. But before you get this vision from God, we want you to hear our version. You know how many people have tried to pull me down off the wall? I've had to lead when arrows were being thrown at me. I've had to lead when I have taken bullets and knives. Now, some of you are thinking, and I know we're on the west side, but I'm going to say that's not what I'm that one real, real bullets and real knives. This need to bring some clarity. <laughs> but I remember one time we was preaching and we was at our old campus on 425 South High School Road and we were over there preaching and there was this man and his wife had been coming to church and he told me that he was in gangs and all kinds of stuff and he was, you know, delivered and set free. <clears throat> and I wasn't as wise then. I've earned a few gray hairs along the way. And I had to go downtown to get a permit for the church. And this brother came and said he was going to drive me down there. Well, I was thankful for the drive. I, I didn't know where it was going. I didn't know where the city county building was. It was very early in the ministry. And he carried me down, and I got into his old rust bucket of a car. And I noticed that the, there was no lock. You couldn't get the, there was no lock on the door. You know how you have to pull that? That's how old the car was. It had one of them that you screw on to. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Come on. Some young people are like, I don't know what that is. Beep, beep. <laughs> I'm back in the day with, and I, I was looking at it. We get to going and get to driving. He proceeds to tell me that he was a murderer. and how many people he had killed. And I am in the front seat. I got no way to get out of this car. 
because he had to get out and come around and open it up from the outside. And I mean, I was praying in the Holy Ghost. I was praying in the Holy Ghost. I, I mean, we got down. I was so nervous by the time I got to there as he was telling me all this mess and unloading all that on me. I was scared for my life. That was back in the day. We didn't even have a cell phone. I had this pager. What, what good was that pager going to do? I found out I'd carried that pager for a whole year and it wasn't even on. I was still wearing it. Somebody help me. I was so unsavvy. I was unsavvy to technology. So I got in there. I tried to do the business. I got back in, and I, was, I, I didn't know how I was going to get home. And he, he was there waiting on me. I come out of the uh, office, and there he was. And he said, you ready to go? And I'm ready. We got back in there, and he brought me back to the church. He proceeded to tell me a whole bunch more of things. Then he told me about all the miracles he had done. I am in the car with Looney Tunes. That's who I said. I am, I have, the mothership has landed. And this man has murdered people and he is telling me of all the miracles he's done at the same time. Now you all sitting here judging me, but put yourself there. And we get back to the church. I was like, I was praying. I had gotten saved several times in that, just got saved coming back. Oh, God, save me, deliver me. And got back. And so he was part of the church, but I would notice that during service, he'd be like this. And, his, and it, there was a spirit about him. I could see a spirit on him. And so one particular service, I was preaching, and I mean, I was preaching hard, and I was preaching against sin. And he stood up, and gave me the middle finger. All in front of all, all these people. You know what I did? I kept preaching. I kept on preaching. I preached hell hot and heaven glorious. And I mean, I laid it out there. I was preaching right at him. I locked eyes on him. Says he was sitting right where you're at. I, I'm sorry, I'm not using you as an illustration, but he, he was. I mean, I was preaching. He had the nerve, the audacity in God's house because people lost their fear of God. And what I've discovered is that you've got to make the fire hot enough that devils get uncomfortable. You do. As they come. And this is the story as I close on this because that's just my illustration. I want you to hear this. You will encounter hindrances, distractions, and frustrations. You will encounter Sanballats, Tobias, and Geshems. They're going to come. And all the rest of the enemies. They don't just stop. They don't just stop. But you must be determined to be on assignment and not come down off the wall. It took me a long time to really kind of get my rhythm on that because I was so concerned about what people thought. And I do care about what people think. I think that you're foolish if you don't care what anyone thinks. 
You don't live your life that way. But you can't let what people think keep you from God's purpose and God's will. And the Bible said that Paul was shipwrecked. The Apostle Paul, who wrote the majority of the New Testament, was shipwrecked. He told the ship's captain, we shouldn't sail. But they wouldn't listen to Paul. Wouldn't listen to that old preacher. Don't, we shouldn't sail. There's coming a great storm. But they wouldn't listen to him. Bless God, it's the year 2023. If I want to go to church, I go to church. I'll do what I want to do. Ain't no preacher. Ain't nobody going to tell me. That's the world we live in. They wouldn't listen to Paul. And Paul, the Bible said that the, the storm caused a shipwreck. And they all swam to shore, but none was lost. Paul had a great leadership ability about him. But even though he was a great leader, he still had to go through the shipwreck. He still had to deal with the hindrance. He still had to deal with the frustration. And when he got to the shore, they had a small fire going. But it wasn't warm enough. And the islanders of Melita came to welcome him. Those that had been shipwrecked. All of those sailors and people on that ship swam to shore and they were cold. And the fire was not very big. And the Bible said that Paul went to add to the fire and make it hotter. And when he made it hotter, a serpent came out and bit him in the arm. If he'd been like some of us, we'd been carrying that serpent around for years. Look what they did to me. Look what they said about me. Look what my ex did. Look what the government did to me. Look what the man did to me. Look at, I'm telling you, we'd have been carrying that thing around. And Paul shook that thing off into the fire. But here's what I want you to notice. The serpent was already in that low-grade fire. And we got a lot of churches who carry a low-grade fire, and the devil is comfortable. Snakes in the church. Spirits in the church. Addictions in the church. People are comfortable. The devil don't mind a low-grade fire. The devil don't mind you flirting with people at work. Devil don't mind that low grade stuff. But you allow the fire of the Holy Ghost to begin to burn. And the devil can't stand the heat. And he'll manifest. And he'll show himself. Even while I'm preaching this message, whoo, there's attack coming. I sense it even in this place. This ain't going over well for somebody. But I declare to you the word of the Lord. I'm not afraid of you, devil. I declare that Jesus Christ, he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Oh, hey, we have power in the name of Jesus. We can lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. We will speak with new tongues. We shall cast out devils in the name of Jesus. 
You know what's going to help your family? Don't keep a low-grade fire. Take the wood of the Word of God and put it up on the fire and rekindle that flame again until it gets so hot that you chase the devil out of your child's bedroom, that you chase hell out of your house, that you chase hell out of your marriage, and you declare, in the name of Jesus, I will not be distracted. I will not be hindered. I'm going to stay right here where God called me, and I'm going to shake that old thing off into the fire. Both stand to your feet all across this house, if you will. And the Bible says that he told them, I'm engaged in this great work. I cannot come down. Why should I stop doing what I'm doing just to appease you? So I heard the Lord say, stay on the wall. Stay on the wall. <laughs> stay on the wall. About seven years ago, I wanted to quit. I wanted to quit ministry. I remember waking up, it was about three in the morning. I walked to the front door of our house. I looked out the door and I looked to the window and I stood there and I just trembled. And everything within me says, I don't need this. I don't need, I don't deserve this. I don't need to put my family through this. I don't know how to do this. I've never been, been here before. I wanted to quit. I called my dad the next day and said, dad, pray with me. Pray with me. I don't know if I want to go on anymore. I said, I don't know if I want to do this anymore. Maybe I'll take a job somewhere. Move out of here. I've never encountered these types of spirits before and these people. I don't know. Listen, I don't care who you are. I don't care who you are. Hindrances will come. Frustrations will come. And I'm trying to be strong for everybody else, but I feel weak in myself. I'm preaching to somebody this morning. And my dad said, stay on the wall, son. Stay on the wall. Hallelujah. I'm so glad that I stayed on the wall. I'm so glad that I didn't quit. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Bethel Family Worship Center. 